Hey everybody, this is Chris and Jason from Silver Solutions Podcast. Join us as we chat with people from around the globe as they share their real life stories of recovery. If you like what you hear, please like and subscribe so you can easily find us and our latest episodes. And welcome back to Sober Solutions Podcast. Tonight is episode 62. And we have Hunter E. from Brick, New Jersey with us tonight. How you doing, Hunter? I'm doing well. How are we doing? Doing pretty well. Uh, the first part of the year has been pretty crazy for me, but it's been good so far. How about for you? Uh, it's been pretty good to me, too. <laughs> Just looking towards the future. That's awesome. Well, I know you're going to be talking to us tonight about uh, managing a sober living house and what that really entails and your experience with that. Some warning signs that you've seen from maybe some of the people that you have seen come in and out of the house. Before you get into that, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? So I grew up uh, in kind of a poor family. My first addiction, I would definitely say was food. When I was very young, like I just never felt like happy with what I was doing. And I remember that I started with food. <laughs> like I always kind of like uh, look back towards that because it was always like a problem in my life. Growing up, I never really felt like I was a part of any of the other kids. I always felt very ostracized. I had feelings that I thought I was gay <laughs> and like uh, they came out to be true. <laughs> and I remember I would just, I would be by myself a lot. And I had like all these addictive tendencies that really kind of manifested in food. And as I got older, I started experimenting with drugs. I mean, I think it was because I wanted to impress other people. I always wanted to impress other people and embellish to make myself favorable to other people. I always wanted everyone else to like me. I never felt good enough. I never felt worthy of just kind of like life. And growing up with that, like I think a lot of things come from like your formative years. So I can look back and say that like a lot of it was like unsure and like um, having problems with my parents or my family or like uh, different situations that kind of just like unfolded. I can see like the obsession and compulsion of later on, like when I had this uncontrolled desire to use and coming into the rooms, it was not something I did willingly. <laughs> like uh, I remember going to treatment and just really not knowing uh, that there was a way to actually stop using drugs. Recently, I celebrated three years clean. I do belong to uh, the NA Fellowship, uh, which I advocate for pretty highly. Like, I belong to service, and I feel like getting involved in step work, uh, sponsorship, the fellowship was just, like, really important for me and just, like, really getting out of myself and, like, my own head. So, like, uh, I really needed other people and their experience to, like, actually find out what that was all about. I feel like the education of others is just like really important and just like finding out like what works for other people because I think for me personally like I have to see other people and this working in their life for me to find like some some evidence <laughs> like that I could really relate to and like this whole journey has been like a really big process that's taught me like a lot about perspective a lot about other people a lot about myself and I think it's like really important to like try to like, to finally try to be like someone who I see as myself because I never really knew who I was and just like kind of coming to terms with like who I can be like having a future. What is a future? And like, what do I want? Like, what do I want from here? A lot of that is like getting out of like my self-centered like nature um, and like finding myself in this program. And I'll talk about sober living uh, because it has been like a truly huge part of my recovery. 
when I was in treatment and they had suggested sober living. I didn't know what the fuck that was. <laughs> and like, um, I had no clue like um, what I was doing. And I just knew that like, I would have been homeless if I didn't go to treatment the last time. And I just couldn't fathom that, <laughs> that path. I really like fought with myself about like what I was gonna do next and like what was the path of my life. Like, do I really want to live anymore? Like I felt like these like horrible feelings of despair and like suicide. And I didn't know how to combat that for a long time um, in active addiction. Like I was very willing to just like kill myself. Um, so like going to treatment the last time, like I'd been to treatment before, I can't say what exactly clicked for me. I believe I subscribed to the idea that there is spiritual evidence and like I had a spiritual awakening in a higher power and like something I do choose to call God and not in a religious way whatsoever. So I found that by listening to other people and like finally having the willingness and open-mindedness to do something about my problem, that was only the start of what I was planning on doing. People had told me about like uh, these sober livings and recovery houses and I didn't have any willingness <laughs> until um, I was kind of just put into the situation where I could go off and try to find a living situation without any help from anyone else or my parents would help me to pay for my non-refundable fee, <laughs> my deposit, and I would have to pay them back. Um, and that just seemed like I was finally at a point where I was willing to do whatever it takes to stay clean. And I moved into the recovery house, not knowing anybody in the area. I moved to a completely different place about an hour and a half where I grew up. My sister did live about 30 minutes away from me in a recovery house as well. Uh, she lived in an Oxford house. And that really did help me integrate me into the program because moving in right away, I found that a lot of people didn't have the same interests I did. I still felt very ostracized, like moving into a house full of men while I was gay. And I thought that might be a problem and I didn't see it as a problem for myself. I always find that I think people are judging me because I just have like this whole like self-centered nature where things revolve around me. And moving into the house, like I found that there were people just like rehab, there were people who didn't always want what was given to them. And like, I, I had to differentiate between the people who really wanted it and the people who were living there just to live there. And I found that like my moods, behaviors and actions didn't really change until I started working on myself. And sober living gave me an opportunity to do that in an environment that was quote unquote safe. And I had lived there for about three years now. <laughs> I've had a lot of experiences there. Uh, and it's really just like the change of perspective, finding like what works for me, what works for other people. Like I try not to give advice because I don't believe that I always have like the warranted advice that people want, but I try my best to um, be an active change. I've heard a lot about a lot of different stories about people in reco uh, recovery houses, sober livings, and I will always endorse my personal experience because I know that it can work. And it's really just about like your commitment to yourself and like being able to work on yourself. And after about a year of living there, I was asked to be one of the assistant managers. 
uh, because in my recovery house, uh, there is a manager and an assistant manager. And it really starts with like um, taking people's rent, like doing phase work. And like, that's what separates us from Oxford houses uh, that we have these things that are kind of like step work almost uh, where they ask you about yourself. They're kind of like icebreakers to get into the house. Um, and like, since that, like it really has been a, a wild ride <laughs> um, being one of the managers because I've lived there the longest in the house by almost a year and a half. I've been through like a lot of different experiences where people come and go and I've kind of had to like differentiate like what is the best way that this works. And that's really just like the start of like how I've been able to stay clean. Like I really needed this opportunity in life where I've been given a safe environment and it's been really important and integral to like a lot of different things. And it's given me the experience and opportunities that like I really didn't know that I required, but I did require. <laughs> and like, uh, that's just kind of like a brief overview of like, um, who I am as a person, finding the program and like finding recovery houses. Thank you. I appreciate that. I relate a lot to kind of the self-centered nature. I recently started doing the step work. I did right when I got out of rehab, but my sponsor moved to California. And for the last two years, I've been more dry than truly recovered. And I'm on step four now with my sponsor. And obviously I had just finished step three. And like, that's really what your story was about. Like you turned your will over, you had that spiritual awakening. And it's taken me a lot to get to that point because I am by nature a self-centered person. I always want to control situations. I always want the situation to be about me, my happiness, and where I want to be in life. And I'm finding that giving that up is really helping in my recovery. It's making me more of a happy person. So yeah, I don't know if it's because I'm at that point in my step work, but I just kept hearing that through you. Something that I, I do want the listeners to understand and me to understand a little more is from a practical stance, what is a recovery house? What's required of you? You enter from day one and why would someone want to join? What does it entail? So I would say the basis of it, the perfect model of a recovery house or a sober living is really a place to live with other recovering addicts or alcoholics. Everyone is welcome. We don't differentiate in that way, uh, but we do have different requirements of making a certain amount of meetings, requiring a sponsor, having a job. And like, really those are like the main foundations of it. Uh, they do have curfews. It all depends how much structure you like. Cause I know there's like different basis of like, um, how much structure and maintenance do you need in a home? Because they have like very structured sober livings where they have people who actually work there. <laughs> and it's kind of like, um, an advanced, like PHP program almost. And your job is to make sure they're doing all of those requirements as the manager, correct? Um, I am just kind of like a governing body uh, where I'm equal to everyone else, but I have like different privileges where for the greater good of the house, me and the house manager, um, we have to make some tough decisions sometimes about people who may have relapsed, people who are so late on rent that it wouldn't be beneficial for them to stay there and potentially you're taking up another bed for another recovering addict. So that's a lot of like um, 
basis stuff. Uh, but we do like I take care of a lot of the the money actions. Like I drug test a lot of people, and sometimes it's not easy. Like a lot of times I'll be on the phone in the middle of the night calling rehabs or treatments to get people in. So Hunter, you were talking about your house versus I believe you said your sister was in Oxford House. And then you talked about how your house does phase work. So can you just explain for me, what's the difference between like Oxford House and your house? And just a little bit more on what you mean by phase work. Yeah, sure. Uh, so an Oxford House is kind of like a standard of um, sober livings or like recovery houses. I guess they're kind of like a different entity where they're um, almost private in a way, uh, but they are commercialized. Like there are a decent amount of Oxford houses and they're a very like well-known name. Uh, we are very similar in that way. Uh, but I mean, I think our structure definitely uh, is a little more advanced than that in the way that like, so phase work for us, uh, that kind of sets us apart in the way that like every house meeting that we have, like once a week, people will do phase work to get off blackout and to gain certain privileges in the house, whether that be curfew, sleep outs, uh, sleepovers. My house has 14 people and it's like, it's very tight sometimes, but um, during like phase work, like we really get to know each other. And I've had a lot of people live in my house, but like we become a family through like shared experiences and like relative um, just knowledge of each other because we've done this phase work. So are the sober living houses male only, female only? Like how does that kind of play into like the gender roles or is it kind of like both or how does that work? So I would really hope that there's no co-ed, <laughs> but uh, for my house personally, uh, there are three men's houses and two females houses. Um, they are owned uh, by private, um, I wouldn't really call them landlords. <laughs> They're two people in recovery who had moved out of their own recovery houses and decided to start their own LLC um, to incorporate and really just kind of help people. And I know now um, they have different professions that relate to the um, housing <laughs> in recovery and like uh, different rehabs and treatments. So like they do separate by, um, by gender for relative reasons. You touched on a high, um, a high relapse rate and turnover in the house. So from that sense, I feel like you're well educated on early signs of relapses and early signs of kind of struggles. What do you see as some of the warning signs of uh, imminent relapse? So as I did say, I do have like 14 people that that's kind of like our, um, our limit of the people who can live in our house. And since I've lived there, like my anniversary of three years living there had just passed. Um, and I think about a year and a half ago, I counted at least 70 people who had lived in our house and left our house in the time that I had lived there. So I would say it's probably at least a hundred by now. And which is just like crazy to think about <laughs> because like the things that I see kind of become common nature. Like when I see certain patterns and behaviors and a lot of them start with not going to meetings, not willing to work on yourself. I think that people have a lot of different things that they take from active addiction. And if you don't personally work on them, like I think a lot of recovery is the work and just like trying to find like, what is it that made you use drugs? Like I say it all the time. Like, I don't think that having a job 
is going to keep you clean. Because <laughs> I find that a lot of people, uh, they find like the social acceptability in life um, from their profession. They move right in, they go and find a job that pays them, and then that's it for them. And I really think that like, if you, I mean, I subscribe to the fellowship of like the 12 steps. And, but I think that any of the programs, any of like recovery fellowships, like if you don't choose to use them, I think that there is a stigma where I just haven't seen a lot of successful people who haven't had the ability to work on themselves. And I think that is really just like the willingness, the honesty and the open-mindedness is really important. Yeah, I was just going to comment on that. I follow the 12 steps. I do AA, I do CMA. And I think what you were just talking about is those early warning signs is the fact that people aren't putting the work in. And sometimes it's hard, right? And so I'm not casting judgment on on those people, but it's it's clearly obvious if you have over 100 people that have come in and out of your home that you know you see these warning signs and it's just like rehab going to multiple rehabs i've been in and out of the rooms for 10 years before i have my two and a half years right and it's just because i did not want to do the work i was not honest i was not open-minded i was not willing and i think you just hit the nail right on the head with that one so one question that you know i was thinking of earlier is would you have done sober living earlier if you knew then what you know now? I think that for all the times, for everything that kind of added up perfectly, uh, I don't think I was very willing in any uh, part of my body <laughs> to go to uh, even like treatment before I did uh, this last time. Um, I don't think I was willing the first few times that I had been to treatment to subscribe that there was a way to recover. And I think that it was kind of like the perfect storm for me personally. And like looking back now, I can say I'm grateful for the experiences I've had in sober living. Uh, but I don't think that I really kind of imagine myself where I've thrown out a lot of drugs. I've had to flush a lot of things. I've had to um, throw out needles. I've had someone die at my house um, where I was the person who found them. And like, those are like kind of experiences that I kind of push down a little bit lower uh, because I'm not always trying to think about like different instances. Like I try to think about all the positives that have happened in my house and like all the benefits that come from living in a sober living. Yeah, I'm glad you were talking about that and that you're focusing on the positives because I could see myself kind of getting bogged down by that turnover, the constant, you know, relapses. But for all of that, these houses and the stories, there's a lot of good and positive that comes out of it. I mean, you're a great example. I know a lot of people in the rooms that have gone through sober living Oxford houses and they have nothing but good things to say. I actually, when I left, I was suggested to not go home and I have two kids, a wife. I was suggested to actually go to one of these houses for six months. And, you know, in hindsight, I almost wish I did because I would have been able to focus purely on recovery for that six months. And it took me two years to get to the point I'm at now. And, you know, I'm grateful for where I'm at now. But I feel like when you, when people leave rehab, it's easy to get sucked into like 
life again, right? And a lot of people, they just go back to the situation they were in. And I found myself, and it took a lot of willpower to not get to this point. How do you see families being supportive? Is there any commentary you have on families? I, I feel like from a sober living house, I'd be interested in the whole family dynamic. Like, are you allowed to have your family over and, or there are like really strict rules on that stuff? Because I remember recently I had a friend who their family couldn't even come over for a month. So I would say that really depends on the house uh, because as uh, one of the governing bodies, like we are very lax about that kind of thing. Like if you have a family member that wants to come see the house, like we're more than welcome to come show you the house. Uh, we're very open to people visiting uh, in the ways that like they are productive members of society or in the program. Uh, and I think that a lot of like family members do come over from time to time to visit uh, the people in our houses, uh, whether that be their children, their wives, um, a lot of parents <laughs> like want to see really uh, if the person is younger, like they want to see the situation that we live in. And I think that overall, it's like a lot of positive comments. Uh, really, it's just like the gratitude of like having a place to stay and like having people that at the end of the day can help you and are there for you. So I want to go back to the fact that you deal with these situations, you know, over the last two and a half, three years of your own recovery, you were talking about throwing out needles and finding someone who had passed away, you know, in your house. So how has your recovery reacted to that? Has it strengthened it? I know that you kind of said you pushed some of it down, but how has living in this house, being part of this house, because to me, I think it's like this instant community that could be formed of people living together and kind of going through life together early on in recovery. But talk to us a little bit more about your recovery and, and how that's impacted it and what you do to get to the amount of time that you've had. I think network, I would say, is really important. Uh, having people that I can talk to about these kind of things and I think it really helps that like a lot of people have these shared experiences of recovery houses uh, where they might be able to relate to certain things. During a lot of harder times, I've really had to reach out and like um, whether that be someone in the house, because even when I was early in the house, like a lot of people had a decent amount of time and I really needed them to kind of look towards and inspire me to like what kind of person am I supposed to be? <laughs> Cause like, I don't know how to be a person. Um, and I found that like a lot of responsibility of the house, uh, really helped to shape uh, my recovery because I think that complacency is very easy, but I know they use the term like keeping it green <laughs> and I never really liked that term, <laughs> but like, um, seeing people in early recovery and like knowing that I have the ability to help sometimes, it really does help my recovery. And like, it's really um, helped to shape what I consider service and like how I put myself out there. And it kind of tests me like different situations where like I am given the capability and the ability to help other people. And it's like, am I willing to put in the footwork? Am I willing to do what I have to do and still keep this responsibility? Yes, it's all about service. One question we always hit on at the end of our podcast is, 
If you were to give one piece of advice to a newcomer or someone with an extended period of time, uh, what would that one piece of advice be? I think I would say get vulnerable. I think it's really important to not only get involved, but really to put yourself out there. Because I think that when you don't put yourself out there and you don't let people know how you're doing, people know who you are, I think it really it hurts your capability of recovering. Because I think that there is a lot of people out there who understand what it's like. And I think it's hard when people first come in to realize that they have to get uncomfortable to like truly like let the benefits of this program work in their life. I could not agree more. I think that it's hard for us as recovering alcoholics and addicts to be vulnerable because I know for me, when I was just coming out of rehab that I hated myself. And so if I couldn't even trust myself with myself, how could I trust myself with other people? And I love the community aspect of the sober living and your advice to be vulnerable because I think it's an area where people can try with people that they're around all the time and getting to know. So I think it's excellent piece of advice. Well, thank you, Hunter. I really appreciate it. We thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, you've definitely educated me on sober living and really what it takes uh, to manage a house. Um, but really bringing your own experience to it. I really appreciate you for coming on tonight. Thank you for having me. And as always, each and every one of our episodes is dedicated to the still sick and suffering alcoholic and addict, especially the individual who's going to pick up for the first time tonight. Have a great night, guys. We appreciate your liking and subscribing to our podcast. If you liked what you heard today and would like to support our podcast, Feel free to Venmo a dollar to our virtual basket at Sober Solutions Podcast. We want to hear from you too. If you have a comment, question, topic, or would like to come on the show, find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Sober Solutions Podcast. Or you can shoot us an email to SoberSolutionsPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show.